Hey, Next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning into this segment of the show. I really appreciate all your support. If you're enjoying the show, please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. You'll see a tab to vote right there on their homepage. Stay up to date with our guest schedule by going online to nextonthetea.net. I really appreciate you. Enjoy the segment. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Eric Johnson, let me remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA licensed briefs. All right, now back in making his 15th appearance with me here on Next on the T is Eric Johnson. Eric has been a great friend both on and off the show since the very beginning. It's almost eight years to the day since Eric first joined me back on August 23rd of 2014. Eric has been a Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor every year since 2011. He was also recognized by Golf Digest as a Top 40 Under 40 teacher. Played his college golf at Mississippi State, where he was a four-year letterman from 1992 to 1995. Helped them win back-to-back Kroger Intercollegiate titles in 94 and 95. He is a four-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He has won the Horton Smith Award multiple times, so many times they should change the name to the Eric Johnson Award. Eric played out on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour. He was a director of instruction for years at the Oakmont Country Club and is now out at Yellowstone Club in Big Sky, Montana. Eric is not only one of my favorite all-time guests here on the show, but just one of my favorite people anywhere on the planet. And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, how you doing? Great intro, man. Like I say, I've said it multiple times, you're the you're the most prepared man in radio. I, I just don't know how you come up with all this stuff. I'm blushing over here. i got to get a you know, I gotta cool my face down. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you, Eric. I used to talk to me, my friend. How how are things in Big Kai's country, Chris? They're they're amazing. You know, we uh, we thought that little place I worked at in the past uh, on that little tiny hill was something, but when you come out and see the number one mountain club in the world, and that's Yellowstone Club and Big Sky, it, it is a thing to behold. I good friend of mine from Pittsburgh. His brother-in-law is a member here, and he flew out tonight, and he said, Eric, I, I have no words. I, I've never seen – all I can say is, wow. And it, it's stunning. It's a stunning property. Mr. Weisskopf built us a fantastic golf course. And, and I think last year, I think, you know, when everyone was out here quarantining, you know, I think people started to really realize how great Montana was. And then you saw it on the match. You made um, Moonlight Basin just on the other side of Lone Peak from us. And it's just – the views are stunning. The, the wildlife, I mean, I've, I've seen bears, I've seen moose, I've seen elk, I've seen, 
mule deer. I've seen it all this year. I even saw a wolf. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, words can't describe it. It's really, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you, Eric, my, my wife will, will tell you, I'm ready to chuck it all and buy an RV and move to Montana. So um, give me a flavor of the golf course itself, the surrounding, and what it's like to play at it, uh, play Yellowstone Club. Yeah, well, you can, you know, Chris, you can stand there and you can look, you know, and see mountain ranges that are 50 miles away. And the views and the vistas are are spectacular. Um, you guys saw it on the, you know, if you watched the, the match, it was amazing. And that's the same stuff we're looking at. It's literally just on the other side of Lone Peak from us. It's, if you've gotten the chopper, it's probably a one-minute chopper ride. But if you, you know, have to go down around the mountain, it's probably about 40 minutes to get over to, to uh, Moonlight Basin where they played the match. But it was uh, – it's the vistas are incredible. You know, most every day we've got these bluebird days. And, you know, we've got a little smoke in the area now because of some of the wildfires. But, you know, it's just – when you're standing there and you can see mountain ranges for 50 miles, it, it's just stunning. It's a stunning mountain course. Eric, as you know, I had Bob Ford on the show last week, and you worked uh, for Bob for many years there at, at Oakmont. Talk about your relationship with him and the round of golf that you guys got to play there at Yellowstone. <clears throat> yeah, well, I, you know, I was disappointed in you. You, you. you forgot to bring up his probably, his, you know, his favorite employee he's ever had. You know, I worked there for 17 <laughs> years for that guy. <laughs> he might have a different story than that. But, uh, you know, of, of all the things, all the great things that have ever been, you know, written about Bob and the superlatives that have been said about him, they're all true. And it still doesn't live up to how great that man is. Um, in my opinion, he is absolutely the best PGA professional the game has ever seen and maybe ever will. Um I got so fortunate in my career. I'm getting a little choked up about it, but you know, for 17 years of my career, you know, he was the, he was my guy. And, uh, you know, he's just, uh, been like a older brother. You could even say kind of father figure. And I've never seen anybody that had the ability to bring up the absolute perfect words when the situation needs it. Now he it, and it doesn't matter if you lost a tournament or something bad happened at work. He always has something to pull you up by, and I mean he's just he's the Chris Kyle of PJ Professionals. He's a legend. He uh, he came out and we played we played Yellowstone Club. He got invited uh, by Mike Raleigh, who owns Straight Down, to come and play in his uh, member guest at Spanish Peaks. Now think about this, Chris. He was at Oakmont for what thirty seven, thirty eight years. Seminal for twenty three or four, I don't remember what it was, <clears throat> but he's hosted all those member guests. Now he got to play in one. And <laughs> he said, Eric, I had so much fun. It was a blast. And, you know, but he got there and, you know, obviously it's a, when he shows up, everybody wants to come and say hi. And so our senior vice president of operations runs the whole place and was there and our director of golf. And I said, Bob, why don't you take the tee, you know? And typical for takes the ball, Throws it onto the tee, you know, the first hole is a that's three wood hole, you know, aim at the one fifty little stake right in the middle of the fairway. Some bunkers on the right and some environmental area that comes in on the left. He rolls the ball out on the tee, no tee, takes a three wood, just strikes it right down the middle. And Mike said, Oh my god, if that hits the 
the 150 stake gets a two shot penalty. I mean, it, it was on a rope. It was frozen rope <laughs> right down the middle. And I'm like, no tee, no practice ring. I'm like, this guy, I can't beat this guy. And, uh, we had a, we had a really nice match. I had, I had, uh, you know, we were, my son and I played Bob and Mike and, uh, my son was a little bulky out in the beginning. And I, I don't know what happened. I buried three of the last four and, uh, and we still lost to him, you know, one down. And, you know, I just can't beat that guy. I, I told him about how, you know, I've, how many times in match play I've had him down in the tri-state match play and then this other one we played in. He goes, well, it's probably going to happen again today, son. You know, I'm like, oh, God. He, he's, 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 always, he's always on top of me. You know, I can never get past this guy. But it was it was great to see him. And, you know, for, you know, it was kind of uh, really kind of the shoe was on a different foot. Like, I got to host him for a change instead of him always hosting me somewhere. And uh, it was great to see him. Yeah, he's it's just, what a guy. And, and you you know, Tom Patry and all the boys, everyone says the same thing. And everything, I, I yep. can't say it enough, like, everything has been written about the guy, it still doesn't live up to how great he is. I, I've just, I've never seen anyone that smooth. He could play, he could teach, he could merchandise. He, you know, he had the merchandising rights, the last PGA professional to do that in 94. And I want to say, I don't know if he'd want me to say it, but I think we did about $6 million that week of the Open. Wow. And then I think USGA kind of finally said, now, wait a minute, why are we giving all this money away? <laughs> and so <laughs> they, kind of over, they kind of kind of took over the merchandising rights. But, uh, uh, but yeah, he, he could do it all. He could play. His business skills were amazing. I mean, think about it. You run Seminole in Oakmont, and uh, I always kid him. I said, oh, you just got good guys running. You just play golf. <laughs> and, and there might be some truth to that. He might not want me to say that either, but I did it. <laughs> From a classy guy like Bob Ford to a couple of knuckleheads, I want to get your thoughts on the Brooks and Bryson rivalry that's uh, been going on this year. Is that good for golf? <laughs> I have no idea. It's comical. I know it's a little comical, and it's perplexing in the same way. I mean, to think that two grown men are going to take Twitter and try to roast each other every you know five minutes is kind of funny. But uh, you know, if I was Captain, if I was Captain Stricker, I might give the boys a call and say, "Hey, boy." You know, cut it out. But um, it is kind of comical, you know. I mean, quite frankly, I thought Bryson was so out of line when he said that comment about his driver sucking. And uh, you know, when you <laughs> when you get paid that much money by your sponsors, um, to say your driver sucks is kind of a hmm, wow, that's a head scratcher. But but I loved it when Brooks came back and said, "Man, I love mine." So you know, I don't know. I it's just a <laughs> It's it's a it's an oddity. It's perplexing. It's just you know. Listen, there might be some teachers that I don't think are the best, or you know, or do it right or wrong or what you know. I mean, but but I'm not going to take to Twitter and troll them all day. I mean, I I just think they're big boys. They should put the big boy pants on and just kind of cut it out. I mean, you know what you know what else I might do? If I was Steve Stricker, I'd pair them together. And people say, put them together. Yeah. Put them. Yes, I would. I'd put them together and say, boys, go out, do battle, figure it out, and cut this shit out. That's what I'd tell them. <laughs> <laughs> now, whether it would work or not, it, it kind of didn't work with Tiger and Phil, though. You know, so I look back at it and I go, huh. But I think deep down, I think deep down, I, you know, I think Phil was a guy who, you know, had all those wins and 
you know, then Tiger just kind of couldn't couldn't get out of him. And, and poor Ernie Ells, I think, you know, Tiger just about ruined that guy. Uh, I mean, but I still think <laughs> Tiger and Tiger and Phil were a, a little bit closer than than what we might have known. And then now you see it. Now they are. And, you know, the stuff they do with the matches and the celebrity stuff, I I think it's good. And, you know, hopefully we see the GOAT back here pretty soon. I, I hope his leg heals up. But uh, I don't know what to think about this thing with Bryson Brooks. Kind of comical, actually. Yeah, hard to say. <laughs> you know, Eric, you mentioned Captain Stricker as we look ahead to the Ryder Cup. I mean, you're going to have those two there. You, you, you might throw... Uh, Patrick Reed in there, who may not be the the most popular guy out on tour, and and uh, we remember what DJ and Brooks almost coming to blows on the on the plane ride over to France the last time. I mean, you got a lot of things going on in this team room. <laughs> How do you keep these guys focused on a team event? Right? I mean, this is all you only get singles on the last day, so you're sort of all in this thing together. How do you keep that team room from becoming a circuit? Well, it's kind of it's kind of what it it kind of has the brewings of it, right? I mean, you, you said it so eloquently. I mean, there's some there's some conflicting personalities in that team room there, and and I I love the pod system. I think you know, I mean, we heard all about it with Phil, and I don't know if he maybe should have call, called Watson out as bad as he did, but um, I like the pod thing, and I think when you get some similar people together. And they're playing as a team. That's great. You can make a little, you know, you can make a little rivalry in between the team. But you know, man, when the when the when the gun goes off, there, I mean, they got to put all that stuff behind them and play golf. I mean, we the Ryder Cup is my favorite event. Uh, it really is. I just love to watch it, and and I always have. It's um, we had a we had a similar Oakmont versus Lock Loman Cup matches and. And I'll tell you what, it was so much fun to play those matches. And those guys got up for it. Our guys were trying to maybe drink that country out of scotch, but I'm telling you, I wanted to win <laughs> as bad as anybody. And, and they wanted to win. It's like it's a, it's a different element over there, uh, especially for the Europeans. They want to pay, play for their town, their clan, their family, their, 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 their country. I mean, they, they take it a little bit more seriously, I think, than maybe we have. Now, I think when we were just beating the pants off them for all those years, it, you know, it was pretty easy for us to do that. And then we started losing. Now we started looking and going, now, wait a minute, that we want to win. <laughs> you know, we want to win again. So, uh, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope the United States can kind of, you know, put this to bed a little bit. And you know what? I, I'm not kidding. I, I'd pair them. I, I would. I mean, you know, I mean, I think I, I, I like the I like the Americans' chances this year. I mean, it, it, they just look super. Um, you got Colin Morikawa, who's a, just a, turning in to be just an all star. Um, you know, Patrick Cantlay. You have DJ, which he's been a little you know hit or miss lately and kind of non exist non factor. But um, you know, but he's so good. I just I just I think it's going to be hard to beat the Americans this year if if they can you know play as a team. And, and, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I mean, call me out to the worst, you know, captaining decision ever, but, but I can make it because I'm not the captain. So I can say it. <laughs> uh, Eric, you mentioned Colin Morikawa and, uh, I was talking to Tom Patrick last week about Morikawa and how his 
first two and a half, you know, two plus years on tour closely matches Tiger's first two plus years. Talk about what you see in Morikawa and his swing and the poise that he shows under pressure. Yeah, well, I mean, when you hear him talk about he's so poised under pressure, when you hear him talk about, you know, exactly where he's trying to aim it, and I, I don't know if you caught that in the in the open, and he was like, in the open championship, I want to aim at that guy in the white shirt, and I want to cut it, you know, in feet, and I want it to come in on this side. I mean, yeah, I mean, he is a man with a plan, and you know, I don't think he has the uh, the flair for the dramatic like Tiger did. You know, Tiger bombed it. He, you know, hit these fingers. He did everything better than everybody. You know, and Morikawa just seems like he's just unfazed. Down the middle, on the green, uh, hits that beautiful little cut shot, which you know a lot of people are, you know, been talking about that. A lot of people argue. You know, I, mean, I was at Oakland for a bunch of years. You know, it's really hard to. Play an open championship, U.S. Open, look at it, and there might be some truth to that. You know, I mean, old cut, you know, seems to find a lot of fairways. Now, the golf course has gotten different, and you see what you know Bryson DeChambeau has done to some golf courses. I mean, uh, you know, when he won the U.S. Open, um, I mean, he just was bombing it everywhere, and you don't really normally see that. But he was hitting it so close that he could stand wedge it out and. You know, even if he wasn't a rough, he could thin wedge it on the green and still have a chance for a two putt, you know, for a par. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was fascinating. So, I mean, um, you know, some of the opens that we've seen were kind of not quite what we normally used to see in, you know, I mean, and then when you get back to the Oakmonts and the Shinnecocks and the, and the, the really hard ones, I mean, then you really start seeing that game. But, you know, Bryson did it a couple of years ago, you know, so, uh, he really tore that golf course up. So, you know, but I, I just think Morikawa, I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I think he's, uh, you know, a very likable guy. Um, and I just think he's going to be around for a long time. I just don't see, I don't really see a hiccup other than sometimes his putter looks bulky. Um, and you see him change, you know, grip styles and, and, you know, but, but, you know, you can't argue like, TP said you can't argue with win percentage, right? I mean, it's very, it is very similar to what we saw with Tiger. So I don't know if he has that game that will, you know, over dominate golf courses like when, when Tiger won in 2000, won the Open Championship and the U.S. Open by a combined 27 shots. He won by, you know, 15 and 12. I mean, that's like winning the 100 yard race in five seconds. I mean, you, you probably won't see that ever again. I, I just can't imagine that someone would be that dominant for in those two majors. But um, but I, I, I look forward to seeing more about Colin. I'm looking forward to watching that. Eric, a guy on the opposite end from Morikawa is Ricky Fowler. And Ricky has been struggling with his game. We've seen flashes that he might be coming out of it. Had a great final round at the Open Championship, shot 65. And then the first round at the 3M, at 3M Championship when he shot 64. <laughs> But only one top 10 finish in this wraparound season that goes back to last September. How does a player like Ricky, or really any of us, when we're struggling for an extended period of time, how do we right this ship when things just aren't happening for him? <laughs> well, that's a super question. Uh, I, I'll answer it this way, Chris. I think if he knew how to write that ship, he would have already done it. <laughs> I think he doesn't know. And I think that happens. You know, we, we sometimes get in that those little funks and 
you know, heck, we saw it with Jordan Peace. I mean, he went kind of the abyss where, you know, we didn't hear much from him for three years. And I'm hoping that's not the same with Ricky. I mean, he's one of the most loved guys out there. I mean, and, and it's hard not to love that guy. I mean, you, you watch him give autographs and all the things he does for the kids. And, I mean, I want to see him back, you know, and, 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 and I, I think personally, you know, when you get into a little funk like that, it's mostly mental at that level. You know, I played for three years and, you know, had a couple good years and my last wasn't good. You know, went to a different teacher and got some different things in there. And I just, I just mentally wasn't there. And, and to me, when you get, when you get something like Ricky, who's been so good for so long, and then he goes through a little funk like this and you kind of go, okay, when are you going to pop out of it? Um, well, we don't know. I mean, his swing hasn't really changed all that much. I mean, if you compare the videos, yeah, he's tried to get a little more upright, but he's always been kind of a round, flat player and, you know, kind of drops it back underneath there. And, uh, you know, the swing doesn't really look all that different, you know, so what's that tell us? I mean, something mentally is going on and, and, you know, we just, you know, a lot of times we don't know what's going on in their head. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in his life, but maybe something's bugging him. Who knows? But, you know, sometimes you just kind of lose your fire a little bit, and you know, um, and, and and you lose your mental sharpness. And at that level, you got to be mentally tough. You've got to feel like you can win and compete. And if you don't, then you shouldn't put the tee in the ground. And, you know, but you got to play your way through a slump which is a awful thing to do. And I've done it. Listen, we, I've had, you know, in college, I had little putter yips and, you know, I didn't think I could make it from, you know, three feet and that's no fun. And, but you just have to mentally get yourself to a spot where you, you overcome it. You just think, listen, I'm, I'm bigger than this. And, and I know that sounds silly, but it, it really is just your mental focus. I, you know, listen, you, I could have missed 10 cuts in a row. And if I'd won it someplace and I knew I'd won there in the past, I'd think mentally, man, I'm going to win this week, you know, because I've won here in the past. And I know how to play this golf course. It makes no sense at all. But you can convince yourself just about anything. I'm convinced of that. And if you think you can win, you're probably going to have a good chance. And I don't mean false hope either. I mean, like, you've been to a place that you know you play good at. I don't care if I missed five, six cuts in a row coming in. I knew I was going to play good there. And, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just your mental process, you know? So to that point, Eric, your, your mental process, your mental sharpness, we talk about the weight of expectations um, with Hal Sutton earlier in the show and, and on this show yeah. frequently. When you think about it, and that's, uh, that's sort of where I feel like maybe Ricky is at. I mean, winning on the PGA Tour, first of all, for all of us to – with all the expectations we're lumping on Ricky. Winning on the PGA Tour isn't easy. I mean, he's done it five times. Oh. He's got 73 top tens, and he's won nearly $40 million over the course of his career. And we're, we're waiting for him to win a major. To your point, we, you know, everyone loves Ricky. He's such a good guy. You know, we're, we're pulling for him. But as part of the, the mental piece of the game, sort of the weight of everybody else's expectations now falling on his shoulders, does that make it exponentially harder for him to get out of it? Well, I think it does. And I, look at Tony Fino. I mean, he's another perfect example of this. He's like a, he's like an ATM machine, you know. It just uh, he just keeps printing money, but he doesn't win. 
and you go, now what is that? Now we thought we thought at Riviera, boy, he's, you know, Max Homa drove it next to that tree and had that unbelievable pitch and, you know, makes it up and down. And you go, Tony had to have been thinking, okay, the weight's off my shoulders again. But it's not. And and Ricky is, I mean, if you ever see this guy, he is the nicest human around. Like, he'll stay and sign autographs and do everything for everybody. And, you know, and you can't say that about some of the other guys. You might say they've been more famous, but you can never say they 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 might have had more wins. But from a popularity standpoint, everybody loves this kid, and and I do too. And I'm just really rooting for him to get back there. But you know, you almost see it with you know I hate that. Oh, you're the best player to never win a major. That's an awful statement. You know, when they used to say that to Lee Westwood, you know he'd won you know 25 events. You know, it's like it's like. Why do the people in the media keep saying that to this poor guy? You know, I mean, it's hard enough to win, right? And, you know, let it all win a major. But, I mean, Tony Snell won once, right? And, and how much money is that kid made? And, you know, so it is hard to win on the tour. And there are a lot of guys that make a real comfortable living and they don't win, but they stay out there for a long time. And I'm hoping Ricky gets out of that because he's just such a great player. I mean, He's been a feisty, strong player too for all, you know his whole career. He's been fun to watch. So I hope he, I hope, I hope he gets over this. Eric, I got to get a couple of playing lessons before I let you go. And you mentioned Tom Weiskopf earlier, and he's got a pretty good yogiism about putting. He said, "Say all you want, but it's all about the greens, and half of that is in your head." I know doubt creeps in our minds, particularly when we're standing over a two to five footer one of those knee knockers to save par. How can we stop the negative voices in our minds and make more of those tough putts? Well, you know, my good friend, uh, Mike Malaska, Jack Nicholas. Um, hey, Jack, what percentage of putts did you make inside of 10 feet in majors? And he said, uh, I made them all. And he goes, no, you had to miss something. He goes, no, I made them all. And he goes, well, no, wait a minute. Maybe six, you know, and, on number 12 at Augusta, you knocked it like six feet by and, you know, and, and then you, you know, you didn't make that one. And that's when Jack like kind of erupted on him a little bit and said, Hey, I made that putt. I hit it exactly where the face was at impact. Therefore I made it. Now the green didn't let it go in, but I made that putt. And you go, now wait, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all either. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, your mind, your mind is such a hard thing to, to comprehend, and if you go inside my mind, there's a lot of really, really weird thoughts that go on up in there. But I don't want anyone to go up in there. I don't think Simpson Freud could have figured this one out. But you know, you you <laughs> got it. You got to. You got to stay positive. You you, you know, I, I always say golfers better be like ducks, and the the thoughts in their brain better be like water off a duck's back just runs off, like that negative stuff, like is gone. It's over. You know, and and I think. What happens when you start thinking about, man, I have missed a lot of these and I have, and I, I am getting the yes, right? That, that's when you do get, if you just say, yeah, you know, I hit something or hit a bug or, you know, funky green or just whatever, you know, and you blame it on something totally other than yourself. And, you know, the game's hard enough. We, we don't need to keep beating ourselves up as well. The golf course is trying to do it to us. Don't do it to yourself, you know. Stay in that proper mental mindset and and, and kind of let 
let the mistakes go. They they happen. You figure out how to get the next one in the hole. I was playing a tournament. I never forget this. John Daly was behind me, and I was hitting sideways. We had people everywhere, and you know, I just pull hooked one on thirteen at Cockwood, and that Gregory Golf Charity Classic, and I'm up in the woods, and I'm going, "Oh my God, how am I gonna get this out of here?" I got spectators everywhere. I'm like trees, and and this this old lady walks up to my caddy and goes, "Is this John Daly's group?" And he said, "No, no, get out of here." And I'm like, Jody, stop that. You know, we're going to just hit a little draw under here. And I, you know, I like, he was mad. He was nervous. And, and I hit this little shot somehow out. And, uh, I made, I hit a sandwich on the part five and I made birdie. I said, yeah, that, that don't yell old ladies like that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, let's talk a little strategy. And one of the things that I've started to adopt is playing for the middle of the green all the time. And always using the club that's going to get me there, even if the pin is in the front or maybe in the back. My thought process is, I don't play enough and I'm not good enough to be pin hunting. Do weekend warriors like me need to adjust our expectations for what we're capable of and give ourselves a margin of error by playing for the middle of the green? You have to, you have to play for the, the fat part. I mean, um, his name slipped to me. Uh, one of the guys that's done all the shot length stuff, he tracked every single shot that Tiger's ever hit in his career. And 80% of the time, Tiger was on the fat side of the green. And for the listeners out there that might not know what that means, it's fat side of the green is the one with the most amount of room. Let's say the pin stuck way over on the right, Tiger was to the left of the flag. If it stuck way over on the left, he was always on the right or 80% of the time. So when you're, when you, when you compound a mistake like that, you go after a flight, you short side yourself, you leave yourself an impossible bunker shot or an impossible, um, you know, pitch or chip. That's how a mistake compounding. You know, I, I, I got lucky enough to play in our YC member guest. We call it the rodeo and one of our members, his guest hurt his hip on the sixth hole. Like, you know, I mean, flies all the way to Montana, hurts his hip on the second or sixth hole. Can't play. So I played as a marker. And and I, I played the next, you know, uh well, thirty six holes with him and uh when we had a ball. And I it was kinda like a playing lesson the whole time. And he won two of the three matches. I couldn't count, my ball couldn't count. But he won two of the three matches on his own. And and it, i I said to him on you know, especially one hole, I said, Listen, Rick, you're about ninety yards from the hole. Har's gonna win this hole. Like you, you hit a great drive. You're 90 yards to the hole. Just hit it over in the front left corner. Just don't, don't even worry about the play. It's over in the right. Don't don't worry about. It. Hit it in the front right corner. Make a par. You win the hole. The other guy was right in the middle of the fairway. Pulled it left. Hit an awful chip. And two putted for five. Rick was on the green, 30 feet, rolling over there. Two putts, he wins the hole. You know, and, and he won the he won the match six and three by himself. Now that wow. is an amazing thing. And, and, and it wasn't like I was doing a lot of coaching other than just saying, okay, now you don't need a birdie. You just need par. You, you need to put it over here, put it over there. You know, and it was about course management. And, and I realized that when I play in these programs and I play with a lot of the, the we'll say handicap players that you just, I'm puzzled by what they're doing or trying to accomplish, you know, I mean, I always say it's slow and steady wins a race. 
So, right, a marathon. Think about think about the game as a marathon. Let's say you only hit 150 yards off the tee, or let's say 200. You get hit at 200 yards, okay? And you're playing the appropriate set of tees. Well, if you can hit the next one 150 yards, you're by every par four. If you're on, a, you know, the appropriate tees, you buy every par four in two strokes. And and then from there, right. it's just a chip of the punch. Now, the one thing that, that, that we will never be able to do, like Bryson, this body is built for leisure, not speed anymore. I'm not going to be in the gym eating protein shakes every, you know, say some day. I'm done. I'm going to drink some wine. I'm going to have fun at night. And, and he can lift all the weights he wants. But I can never hit as far as him, but I could probably be as good a putter, tipper, and pitcher, maybe even bunker player. Because you don't need strength. It's not about speed, necessarily. Putting isn't. Like, I tell the, you know, beginner ladies clinics, we can be the best in the world at this. Because it doesn't take speed. It takes control of the face. And now, we can't say that with drivers. They're never going to hit a 400. But they can be really good putters and chippers and pitchers, right? So, you know, to me, that's the side of the game that really needs to be taught and and, and, and really learned. And, and like you said, course management. Uh, you know, we all want to think we can hit a three with two fifty over a lake, and but you know what, we can't. So lay it up to the right yard, sit on there, and make your par. I mean, I promise you, those pars are going to add up to a good score. Eighteen pars, even even par. Last time I looked, those win opens. Eric, one of the guys who started listening to the show years ago did so because of his relationship with you, and that's Tim McCord and. For those folks who aren't familiar with Tim, he is now a volunteer assistant golf coach at Allegheny College. But prior to that, he was a physical education teacher for 34 years in the Titusville Area School District. He was the Pennsylvania State Association Health and Physical Education Educator of the Year in 2003 and their Coach of the Year in 2012. He coached the varsity golf team for 32 years, and I know he has a special place in your life. Talk about Tim. Well, Chris, I'm, you know, thanks for bringing Coach up. You know, honestly, he is, uh, he might be the most, and this might be the most important segment I've ever done with you, you know, because, you know, Tim, he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And, you know, the man is selfless. He's a man of integrity, always does the right things. He's always thinking of other people. Um, His strong moral principle is crazy. And he helped so many of us through tough times. You know, I, I, you know, I played for coach, you know, my uh, freshman and sophomore year. And, you know, it, <laughs> we were at playing the uh, Sleepy Hollow and uh, we were playing for the section championship. And we, I'm not sure we'd ever won under Tim, you know, and, and I was a freshman and we were playing Sleepy Hollow and the first hole was like 265, 270 yards, a little tiny hole. And there's out of bounds and a road that goes all the way on the right side. Like, so you're either laying over the five iron, hitting the sandwich, or trying to drive this thing. And it's so funny. Coach is like, hey, you know, man, five irons off the only, you know, sandwich is in. I'm like, okay, you know. So he had me play like two or three man that day. And, uh, yeah, I was a freshman. My brother was on the team too. And it was, it was a big deal, you know. And, and so I'm standing there waiting for the green to clear. And I said, yeah, I can hit this thing. I'm going to drive this thing. I pull out my driver, <laughs> and I laced this thing. It was the best time I've ever hit. Thank God. And it goes right onto the green and rolls right under someone's feet to, like, four feet. You know, I had a four-footer for Eagle on the first hole. And he was so mad at me. 
around. He's like, I thought we were hitting, you know, five out of ten. I was like, Coach, I knew I could do it, you know? And then like, we tie. We tie the championship. And it goes to my brother, who shot like 85 or 86 or something. And he beat poor Michael Polka, who had like the shanks that day and had a heart or something. So that was like our first championship. And uh, he was, he, I, I don't know if he was ready to, to strangle me or like hug me, but, you know, and then I birdied the second hole. So I was like 300 under two holes. I had 74 or something, but we ended up winning against a good friend, Steve Singleberger. But my sophomore year, I had qualified for the state championship. And it was, uh, it was, it was a big deal for me because I knew I wanted to play college golf and I wanted to do something. And, you know, so Tim said, Hey, listen, we're going to practice every day. And I said, Coach Swift, my parents are getting divorced. You know, I don't know if I can get it right out there. And he goes, meet me after the last period and we'll go play. And we played every day for a month. He and I, and he drove me out there. Now he wasn't getting extra pay for that. He wasn't getting anything for that, but he drove me out there every single day to practice and play. Now, as you know, Chris, in Pennsylvania, we get some bad weather. I mean, it's not a matter of if you're going to get snow. It's just when and how much. And we went out on days where it was snowing. He'd take a shovel and a broom, and we'd broom the green off, and we'd chip and putt till both of us were frozen. And, and you know, I went into the state championship and shot, uh, I finished 34th, 34th or 32nd, I can't remember. And uh, it was all because of Coach. And, you know, I, my parents got divorced. I moved in with my dad. And, you know, so I qualified for the state championship as a senior as well. And just to show the difference, high school coach, I believe his name is Don, that's how he didn't really stand out to me because he was nothing compared to Tim. And, uh, you know, I qualified, same thing, October 1, November 1, the tournament was played. And he said, I'll see you in November 1. You know, I never saw my coach again. So I went back and thought about everything that Coach McCord taught me. And I did the same thing. I'll never forget it. I lost by a shot. I birdied the last hole, but I still lost by one and uh, almost won the state championship. And it was because I did everything that Coach McCord taught me how to do. You know, I I went out by myself and shoveled snow to hit balls in Erie, Pennsylvania, you know, and it was truly amazing, you know, what he's done for me. And uh, I'll just never forget it. You know, he was, he's, and it wasn't just me. You know, I was going through a tough time there with my parents getting divorced, but you look on Facebook, he does that for all of us. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many people, you know, thank him every day on Facebook for, you know, things that he's done for all of us. You know, I mean, all the great athletes love this guy. And, you know, he kept me in line, too. I, I've got to tell you, I was right after the state championship, you know, at Halloween. And, uh, you know, we were, we were there and, you know, of course, 16-year-old knuckleheads, we went to quality market and had a bunch of eggs they're pulling around and there's probably 10 or 12 of us and coach happened to drive by where we were and he stopped at a stop sign and there was like 10 or 12 of us and we all got our like best Nolan Ryan wind up and not one person could throw an egg at him in his car (laughs) first of all we knew he would kill us (laughs) and and we knew he would kill us and but like every one of us we were like Nolan Ryan we're all locked back with our and no one could bring their arm forward. <laughs> so, oh, funny story. So the next morning, I come in, and I hear on the PA system, you know, Eric Johnson, please report to the gym. You know, I thought, oh, good, I get to talk to coach. <laughs> Guess what? That wasn't a fun conversation. I don't know if he went through, like, the 
high specificity steel and got like a titanium enforced finger. But he put that pointer finger in my chest so many times I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I mean, he was, you know, he had me kind of against the wall like, you have to respect yourself. You have to respect your family. You have to respect your team. You're better than this. You have to respect me. You know, I'm your coach. And, uh, you know, he, he really toed the line on me. And, you know, and that was back and, you know, people, he just, he had that ability. He cared for me so much. And, um, sorry about that. I'm getting a little choked up on that one. He cared about me so much that he wanted me to see. And he wasn't going to let me turn into a goofball, you know? And, uh, man, I'll never, never forgive, you know, I'll never forget everything that he's done for me, you know? So, you know, fast forward a bunch of years later, he was bringing his son down to Oakmont, which, uh, Matt's now first assistant down in, in Chapel Hill and, uh, you know, PGA member and, uh, got a great career, great player. And, and, you know, I said, coach, listen, you know, he'd always say, how much do you? Coach, don't owe me a thing. Everything you've done for me, you're the reason why I'm here. Like, you're the reason that I got out of, over the hump, so to speak, and there's no charge. But every single time, Matt would have a, a thank you note and and a gift card. And I told him not to do it, ever. But that's just the kind of guy he is. And and like I said, it wasn't just me. I mean, Titusville was a tough little town. You know, your dad was either working at Sightam Specialty Steel or a you know, lumberjack or working on the oil fields. And, you know, it was a tough little town, and he wanted us all to succeed. And I, I look back at it, and I, I see so many of the great athletes, uh, Tracy Gabos and, and uh, you know, Jay Snyder and all those guys, and, and, and like Rob Paluski, he's a PGA member down in North Carolina as well. And uh, they were all from Coach McCord's teams. And, and uh, all the athletes just love this guy, and he always knew – how to push you in the right direction. Uh, you know, I can't thank Tim McCord enough for everything he's done, not just for me, which is like volumes. He's my, he's my, he's my Bob Ford in my later career. You know, that Tim was my, the guy that really, like I said, believed in me when I probably didn't believe in myself. He sounds like a wonderful man. I'm sure he'll be listening to our conversation tonight, Eric. Folks, you can find out more information about Tim and follow him on Twitter at Tim McCord PE. Tim, thank you for being a loyal listener of the show and for everything you've done to grow the game up in our home state of Pennsylvania. You're fantastic, my friend. Eric, we're both Steelers fans, so before I let you go, I got to get your thoughts on the upcoming season. Is this going to be a good one or are we in for uh, several years of rebuilding now? <laughs> you need to ask for dad that one. <laughs> I, met, I met him. I met him in, in the in Clifford's box at a Steeler game. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Um, I'm hopeful. Uh, I think Ben still got some gas left in the tank. I think with the addition of Naze Harris, I mean, I, I'm hopeful. Um, now that could be dashed real quick, <laughs> but I'm optimistic. <laughs> You're telling me there's a chance, and I. I I think there might be. Uh, so, I, at least I'm, I'm praying for the black and gold. I love them. You know, that town, you know that town. I mean, it's just what we root for, you know. And and we've been so lucky with the Penguins and, you know, those poor pirates. Oh, nothing. Just, uh, yeah. uh, Don't want uh, to be started on that. He's <laughs> trading. Yeah, I, you know, just, I, I sell a team to somebody who wants to win. 
You know what I mean? Right. Teams can win without a huge payroll. You can win if you if you want to win. And and I just I think they've been phoning it in, but I, it's such a fun ballpark to go to. You can't help but go down there and have a great time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a beautiful park. It's just ah, oh, I wish we had some some tired players. Man, it just bugs me. But yeah, uh, we need old. We need guys like Bobby Friend again. Old Pitts, you know, I miss him. That's right. But uh, that's yeah, right. God, what a good guy. What a great man he was too. Super guy. Eric, before I, I let you him. go, how can our listeners stay up to date with you? I know it's always a struggle on your website and on social media. I'm hoping one day you're gonna you're gonna be out there responding <laughs> on social media. But yeah. is there a way for us to stay up to date with you? <laughs> oh, you kill me on this every time. And I promise I think I promised you like fourteen times now that I was gonna do more of this. I just <laughs> right. you know, I, I I think I have. It's Eric Johnson Golf, EricJohnsonGolf.com, and I'm on Instagram and whatever, Facebook and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, I'm just, Chris, I I, I think I'm the Bryson and the Brooks Kepka thing. I'm just not like a, I don't think I need to, you know, win an internet, like, pissing match. But but I promise you, I I promise you, I might just post something tonight just to, to, you know, show you up. But (laughs) I promise. Wow. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you're awesome, my friend. Remember. I can't I thank you my... enough for coming back and being a part of the show. Now I got to remember passwords now. Hey, brother, I love you, man. Thanks for everything. You got to come and see this place. Wait till you see the Yellowstone Club, number one mountain club in the world, buddy. You got to come see this one. Yeah, no kidding, my friend. I've been, like I say, I'm telling my wife, you know, we're going to chuck it all. We're going to buy an RV and we're going to head to Montana. <laughs> so that's. That's, well, that's the plan. I hope I can convince her. I might need your help. <laughs> you might need a little help on that one, bud, but you know, keep trying. <laughs> I'll see you, buddy. Thanks for everything. All right, Eric. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. Bye-bye. That's the great Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson Golf is the, is the website and how you can find him on social media. But um, as you can tell, that guy is uh, just one of my favorite people on the planet. The, the enthusiasm, the positivity, the energy, all of that sort of stuff is uh is endearing about Eric and he's just as genuine a person as you're gonna find and and uh you know part of the show the the great part about Eric is he's you know you ask him a question he's gonna tell you an answer and that's uh as an interviewer that's all you can ask from a guest and and uh and the fact that he comes on again that tonight was the fifteenth time. How lucky am I to uh have one of the top one hundred instructors uh in, on the planet uh come back fifteen times. And uh, I'm very blessed, and Eric is a, is a great human being, and uh, the next time can't get here fast enough uh, for number 16. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again go out to Hal Sutton, Sean McKeel, Jason Hayes, and Eric Johnson for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are... Our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, will be back. Allison Fillmore, who is the vice president and executive director of the Tour Championship, will be making her next on the T debut, as will another one of the top instructors in the game. Nick Bradley will join me. And then we'll round out the show with former tour player and one of the top broadcasters in the game, Charlie Reimer, will be back. So, folks, it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. Pandora has now joined the lineup. 
iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Podcast.co. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.